pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of his name. Amen. I don't know how many of you have ever had a chance to drive a really fun sports car. Maybe like the one on stage we have today. Uh, but when Corey and I were first married, we had a friend, we had one car, and there was a, a friend in St. Louis who said, hey, if you guys ever need to be in different places in the cities, uh, just call. You can borrow a car. And so one day we had to be at different places all over St. Louis, and I wasn't going to be able to drop off and pick up. It just wasn't work, going to work. So I called him and said, hey, can I, can I borrow a car? And he was like, sure. Which one do you want? And I said, I don't really care. I just need a car to get from here to there. He goes, tell me you want the BMW Coupe. And I was like, well, who doesn't want the BMW Coupe? But yes, that's what I want. And so he said, okay, come on over. So we took it, and I got to drive this six-speed BMW that went faster than I ever should have went. And no, I'm not going to tell you how fast that was. Uh, but it was amazing. But if I had never known or didn't know or never learned how to push the clutch in and shift from first to second, from second to third, from third to fourth, I never would have had any fun. Driving a really cool BMW coupe at 10 miles an hour like this is not the way life is supposed to be. I think the same is true with faith. If we don't shift how we view our faith from coasting to growing or from religion to relationship, you see, I think we're going to drive 10 miles an hour down the road of life and we're going to get bored and we're going to want to get out. We're going to, and everybody is going to pass us by. But if we can learn to make that shift, much like driving a sports car, we can glide from gear to gear up and down as we need, as the trials and turns and twists and hills and valleys of life come at us. You see, because God didn't send Jesus to die on a cross so that we could follow all the rules, so that we could create more rules for other people to follow that maybe we don't always follow ourselves. He sent Jesus to die on a cross so we could have a relationship with him. Because God created us and designed us to be in relationship. When I first started in ministry, I got a chance to meet a 15-year-old kid named Jamie. Jamie was a kid who, when he walked in the room, it didn't matter who was there, Jamie was going to be their friend. He wasn't super outgoing or loud, but there was just something infectious about Jamie's personality. Jamie played lead guitar and was lead vocals in a high school rock band, so you can imagine what that sounded like. I got to meet Jamie for one hour as I interviewed for a church I was going to go work at in St. Louis. But on day one, I woke up that morning to the call that no youth pastor ever wants to get, and especially not one who the ink was still wet on his diploma. As I got a call from the, the elder at the church, and he said, 
hey, Jason, you might not remember him, but you met him. Uh, but I wanted you to know as you start today, Jamie passed away yesterday in a rock climbing accident with his dad. And so all I know about Jamie was what I experienced in that one hour with him and in the two hours at the most unusual memorial service I've ever been to. Complete with Jamie's favorite pizza topping, which was something strange, and I don't want to lie, so I don't remember what it was, but it was not pepperoni. Krispy Kreme donuts, all the Mountain Dew you can imagine, and a high school rock, rock band, and 200 high school kids there to remember their friend. Kids who didn't know Jesus, kids who would never step foot in a church, and kids who love Jesus. Because what was different about Jamie was he wasn't about checking off the boxes. He wasn't about fitting into the form. He wasn't about making sure he did all the right things. But he was absolutely about a living, life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so at that party, I met a kid named Tim. Tim was Jamie's bassist. Tim didn't have faith. Tim didn't know who Jesus was. But Tim was trying to figure it out because there was something that was different about Jamie. And Tim wrestled with that. Tim and I had coffee. We met. But I was the first youth pastor this church had ever had. And so every Thursday night, I went to the room that they assured me that high school kids would come to if I would just show up. And for three months, I cried because nobody showed up. And if you're the youth pastor at a church where no kids come, you don't have a job very long. So I had to figure out something to change this. So it was time for our fall retreat, and I called Tim. I said, Tim, I, I know you're kind of back and forth on the church, but if you'd come, I'll pay your way. Totally free. Well, Tim was a 16-year-old boy who just couldn't wait to get away, who just found this as a way to get away from his parents for an entire weekend for free. And so he said, sure, I'll come. And he brought a buddy. Something happened that weekend that Tim never expected, that I don't know if I honestly ever expected. Tim figured out who Jesus was. And he started a relationship with Jesus. And so on Thursday nights, Tim and I and his buddy met. And then slowly over time, more kids began to come. What if Jamie had made Tim follow all the rules before he'd let him be in his band? You see, God's not about following the rules. He's about inviting us into a relationship. Take a look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 16. Or I'm sorry, verse 26. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. We worship a God who has existed eternally in relationship with himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he didn't say, let me make human beings in my image so they can be like me. God exists in relationship. He created us in his image to exist in relationship. And because of that, relationships are compelling. 
Relationships are motivating. Relationships draw us in. And in just the next chapter, in chapter 2, verse 18, the Lord, the Lord God said, It was not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So God knew from the beginning we were supposed to be in relationships. Now, my artistic skills are about the same as Zach's. So give, be gracious. This is me because he's got no hair. This is what Genesis chapter 2 tells us. God created us with a bridge between the two so we could be in a relationship with him. Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. They lived with God. They talked with God. They saw God. They walked and had conversation like we would go on a walk around Medicine Lake. They interacted. There weren't rules in the garden. There wasn't a list of do's and don'ts and a list. There was one. That was it. It was about a relationship. It was about getting to know each other. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, you know that in Genesis 3, we broke that. In Genesis 6, we broke that again. In Genesis 11, we messed it up again. And God just keeps saying, I'm not done. And so in Genesis 12, he calls Abraham. And he says to Abraham, I want you to come and follow me. You're going to be my people. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to reward you. I'm going to work through you. Now, Abraham wasn't out looking for God in the middle of the desert that day, like picking up rocks. God, are you over there? No. God, no. God went looking for Abraham. Abraham wasn't expecting it. Abraham wasn't wanting it. God came and reached out to Abraham, and he says in Genesis chapter 17, this is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God, the God of your descendants after you. God doesn't say, hey, Abraham, here's what I need you to go do. Go get yourself all cleaned up, make yourself look pretty, then come back. God, I want, no, he says, Abraham, I want to establish a relationship, a covenant relationship, a commitment that will never end, that will never break. Abraham, I know you can't do that on your own strength, so I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to hold you close. And if you know, the Old Testament goes on, the book of Genesis ends, Exodus begins, and the Israelites are in slavery again. God sends Moses, takes him to Mount Sinai, and gives him the Ten Commandments, a list of rules. I think we have the Ten Commandments all wrong. The Ten Commandments aren't a list of moral things we're supposed to do. When God gave Moses the list of Ten Commandments, he said, if you want to be in relationship with me, this is how it happens. If you want to have good relationships with each other, this is how it happens. What if the Ten Commandments don't actually make us holy? What if we can't actually follow all Ten Commandments? 
God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses as a basis for a relationship. Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Spend it with me. Be in relationship with me. Don't worship another God. Don't use my name in vain. And then the last six are all about how we relate to each other. Don't steal from each other. Don't kill each other. Don't lie to each other. Don't commit adultery. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff. You know, we, this is about relationship. What happened in Genesis chapter 3 that went all the way through the New Testament or Old Testament is we start to try to work our way here. We start to try to do enough good stuff. And if you read the Old Testament, you think every once in a while, you think the Israelites finally got it. They're doing, they're doing God's law. They're doing it. They're doing it. They're following. They're following. And then there's like a bright, shiny Philistine over here and jump off the bridge and we didn't make it. Because we sin, right? We mess up. We can't do enough stuff to build our own way. And then we read the Old Testament and we get really frustrated because we're like, how can the Israelites be this dumb? And then we have to think about our own lives, right? At least I have to think about mine. My alarm clock goes off and I wake up in the morning and I go, I'm not going to sin today. I'm not going to sin today. It's going to be a good day. God and I are going to walk really well. My feet at the floor. And I like screw up right there. Because I start thinking about how cool I am or how good my hair looks or something like that. And my pride comes in and all this stuff just falls apart and I can't do it. Or maybe we start thinking about our stuff and how much we like our stuff. And God say, no, you need to give some of your stuff away. And I'm like, God, I worked hard for my stuff. Those people didn't work hard for my stuff. I get my stuff. They don't get my stuff. And so some days are better than others. We build our way over. And we keep getting closer, but we mess up. And we just can't quite make this jump. We can't do enough stuff. To get back to God. That's the story of the Old Testament. I just saved you 39 books of the Bible. You're welcome. Right? Like, we can't do it. And so in the Gospels, God comes and dwells among us. God comes and says, listen, I made a covenant. I promised you I wasn't going to break that covenant. I created you to be in relationship with me. And I'm going to do anything it takes to build and strengthen and develop that relationship with each and every one of us. And so Jesus comes. And Jesus walks among us and lives with us. But if you've read the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus doesn't do all the stuff we think he's supposed to do. He doesn't come and establish like the Ten Commandments 2.0. He doesn't come and redo all this stuff. He doesn't make us jump through hoops. No, he builds relationships with each and every person who comes to him. Religious leaders who can't quite figure it out, who come at night and say, listen, I'm embarrassed. I don't know. I'm trying to figure this out, Jesus. Would you help me? And Jesus answers the question. 
to Samaritan women, a different race, a race the Israelites wouldn't talk to. Jesus says, this is what it's about. This is what life with me is about. This is what it means to be my follower. This is what it means to be in relationship. Adulterous women who come in and kneel at Jesus' feet. Why is it dinner and worship? Who cry tears onto his feet, who use their hair to wipe them clean because they figured out they can't do it. You see, the Jesus who comes in the Gospels isn't a Jesus who comes for people who already behave. He's not a a Jesus who comes for people who've got it all together. He's not a Jesus who comes for people who know all the answers. He's a Jesus who comes for people who know they can't behave. Who know they can't get it right. And God wasn't going to stop at anything. Because he created us for this. He created us for a relationship. And so he sent Jesus to the cross. To do what we couldn't do. We can't make it. Jesus, who never sinned, bore all of our sin, all of our mistakes, all of the things we've done wrong. So we could be in relationship. So we could walk back and be known by God. So we could know God. So we could know love. So we could experience truth and forgiveness and healing like we've never had before. And that's where Paul's words in the book of Colossians come. Paul says this, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Now, I don't want you to walk out of here and say, Jesus, Jason said that Jesus is just about relationship and I can go do whatever I want because I'm going to be in relationship with Jesus and he loves me and that's all that matters. That's true. He does love you. He does care about you. He did die for you. He does want a relationship with you. But relationships are hard. And relationships take work. Right? Like, I mean, on Thanksgiving Day, Corey and I will have been in a relationship for 22 years. That's 18 years of marriage and four years of dating. That feels like a long time. A lot longer for her than for me, but it feels like a long time. That takes work. 66 gifts if I only buy three a year. Birthday, anniversary, Christmas. 66 unique gifts that are thoughtful, thought out, mean something to her, and I have to buy these every year. (laughs) Takes effort. And I think you can look at that and be like, oh, it's a nice gift. Sometimes being in relationship looks like the things we used to try to do, but we do them very differently. Let me give you this example. Imagine it's Corey's birthday. She's at school. I go with the completely unimaginative idea of I'm going to buy her flowers. So I get her flowers, show up at the school, 
check in at the office. I get my little name tag. I walk down the hallway. All the other teachers are like, oh, oh, Corey's so lucky, yada, 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 yada. Right, so I get to her room. I knock on her door. She comes to the door, and she says, oh, thank you so much. And I give her the flowers, and I'm like, it's okay, I had to. It doesn't feel very loving all of a sudden, does it? How often on Sunday morning do we get up, walk in, and if Jesus stood at the door of the sanctuary and met us or at the door of the church and met us, and he said, I'm so glad you're here today. It's okay, I had to. Got to check my box. Got to punch my card. If I come enough, I'll get into heaven. We make it about what we have to do. We make it about checking the boxes. Paul says, ignore the philosophies and the human traditions. If you keep reading in Colossians, those human traditions and those philosophies are the man-made things we made up. The Israelite leaders took Ten Commandments and made over 600 laws about them. How far you could walk your donkey that day. If it's a donkey or a chicken, does it matter? We make rules about faith. We take Jesus out of the equation. We make it not about relationship and we make it about what we do. We make our relationship with Jesus about this. We make it about Jesus coming and dying on a cross so everybody will dress nice on Sunday morning. We make it about the organ being the only instrument that's really allowed to play music in the church and only at a certain decibel level. When we start looking at what we do and how we want it and we think about religion, we come to church on Sunday morning and we check our box and we say, I did my good thing. Now on Monday, I don't have to care about social injustice or racial injustice or gender inequality. Because I checked my box and I'm getting in. Or we make confirmation about 10th graders punching a ticket that gets them into heaven, but doesn't actually mean anything. What if it's not about what we do? What if it's about receiving a free gift? And because I received that free gift, I don't take roses to Corey and say, I had to. I take roses and say, I am so thankful for you. I'm thankful for the love you've shown when I didn't deserve it. I'm thankful for the mom you are to our two boys. Or we come to church and we say, Jesus, there's no place I'd rather be because I'm so thankful for what you've done for me. Or we open up our Bible on Monday morning because we realize we've received love we never deserved and we didn't do anything to earn. Or we go help in a soup kitchen on Tuesday afternoon because we want to fight for people's dignity and lives. What if, like the guy in the video said, church really was an ocean of grace? What if we could come play in an ocean of love and grace and forgiveness every Sunday morning? 
What would that mean? I think if the church is going to be an ocean of grace, we have to have a place for people to belong who don't have it all together. We have to provide a place for them to know love and experience grace when they still have doubts. We have to get honest about our own doubts, and we have to have a place where we can talk about that. We have to engage in difficult conversations that make us uncomfortable. If the church is going to be an ocean of grace, we have to allow people to belong before they behave and before they believe. What if Jamie made Tim clean himself up, check all the boxes, and get it together before they could have a relationship? God created us for relationship with him first. And now we have a responsibility to go back over here and find everybody else who doesn't know him. Love God, love others, and we don't get to pick the other. It doesn't matter if the other looks like us or doesn't look like us. Are we going to love them? Are we going to welcome them in? Are we going to help them find the love that Jesus has for them? Church, will we trust God enough to help us shift? Help us shift from being about people doing all the right things to being about a God who died to be in relationship with us and inviting them to come and meet and know and see who that God is. This shift is super important. Will you pray with me?